You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, our series theme, The Real Jesus. Many of you know that Ellen and I enjoy scuba diving. For our 20th anniversary, we got certified. A year later, we went to Cozumel. And I'll never forget the first dive we took. We're heading to the reef, and the dive master said, hey, we're going to be diving the Santa Rosa Wall. Wow. Uh, I read about the Santa Rosa Wall. It's majestic. But one of the things that's uh, very challenging for a beginner diver is that it's about 100 feet deep. And so there's a little bit of fear, anxiety that reared its ugly head. And at the right time, I went to the dive master. I said, sir, just so you know, my wife and I are novices. Uh, We haven't dove in a year. We got certified last year. And uh, just FYI, he said to me, and I quote, he says, don't worry relax, trust me. (laughs) Okay, well, we're in the water. We're about 70 feet deep, and I'll never forget this. The dive master is leading the way, and he points to a cave in this huge coral reef wall, and he uh, indicates to follow him. And again, fear and anxiety uh, was just felt by Ellen and I. We followed our dive master. We broke through to what's called the abyss, nothing but a sea of ocean to the west. But then the prize, folks, the prize was this, the Santa Rosa Wall. One of the most majestic things I've ever seen underwater, just enormous coral, the uh, flora, the fauna, the fish, everywhere, it was just a prize. And so I learned something uh, that day while diving, and it's a simple concept, you may have heard it before. No risk, no reward. And so this morning we come to a passage that really highlights that truth. No risk, no reward. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 11 through 28. And folks, in this parable, the stakes are high, enormously high, in how we respond to Jesus in this life, and for all eternity. So I hope you have your Bibles open, and what I want to do is I just want to read through the passage. Stick with me. I'll make a few comments along the way to help you understand what's going on, and then we'll take a deeper dive into the subject of this parable, no risk, no reward. So, verse 11. As they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, key phrase, This passage opens and closes with Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Now, please notice the first phrase, as they were listening to this. Listening to what? This is in the context of Jesus' ministry to Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your home. I want to dine with you. Remember how the crowd responded? They were aghast. Folks, I want you to know something. In the ancient world, it was risky for Jesus to hang out with Zacchaeus. 
He was the chief of sinners. He was the low life. He was the scum of the earth, according to people. That's why they were aghast when Jesus said this. But remember, Jesus didn't live by reputation. He didn't live by popularity. He risked it all. Why? He was on mission. Now notice the expectations. We're going to Jerusalem, and they believed the Messiah was going to show up and overcome Rome. Unfounded expectations for sure. Now, verse 12. Therefore, Jesus said, a nobleman traveled to the far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. Well, who's the nobleman? It's Jesus. What's the far country? It's heaven. Acts 1, when he ascended into heaven. And who gives him authority? Of course, it's his heavenly father. Verse 13. He called 10 of his slaves, gave them 10 minus, and told them, engage in business until I come back. And so a mina in the ancient world was about four months of wages. Pretty significant resource. And basically what we have here is a parable focused on one primary thing, the stewardship of the resources God has given us in life. You know, in some ways you could ask the question, how will God's people respond when Jesus is gone? You know, a modern vernacular, when the cat's away, how will the mice play? This is really about stewardship. When the Lord is gone, can he entrust us with his resources, our time, our treasure, our talent, and touch to live generously? And so verse 14, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule And of course, the subject there, sadly, are the religious establishment. Now, verse 15. At his return, having received authority to be king, he summoned those slaves he had given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. And friends, this is a beautiful thing, but it's a sobering thing. This is accountability. God has given us much. To whom much has been given, much will be required. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to hold his servants accountable. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to stand before what's called the Bema Seat of Christ. And there will be reward, and as we'll see later, there could be loss. Now, continuing on, how do the servants do? Verses 16 through 27. The first came forward and said, Master, your money has earned 10 more minas. Notice how Jesus responds. Well done, good slave, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in very small matter, have authority over 10 towns or 10 cities. The second came and said, Master, your mind has made five minas. So he said to them, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it away, hidden in the cloth. Notice, folks, this is tough. Because I was afraid of you, for you are a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit. You reap what you didn't sow. Wow, what a view of God he had. He told him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit, reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Notice the response. But they said to a master, he already has 10 minas. I tell you, 
that to everyone who has, more will be given. And for the one who does not have, even what he does not have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them. And boy, oh boy, this is going to sound harsh. But this is part of the reality of the future judgments. Slaughter them in my presence. And when he said these things, he went ahead, notice, going up to Jerusalem. I hope with all my heart you downloaded the digital guide for worship. And of course, we encourage you to follow along in the sermon outline, take notes. So let me start with the blessing, the core subject of this parable. The parable of the minus requires us to take risks in order to properly steward God's resources. Friends, that is the absolute reality from this beautiful parable. And so this morning, I want to share with you three spiritual risks as we purpose to steward God's resources for his kingdom and his glory. Risk number one, spiritual risk-taking starts by trusting Jesus as Messiah. Please don't miss this. Luke is just exceptional in his literary device. He's creating huge contrast throughout the whole gospel, but especially around Luke 19. And so what is the contrast? Well, remember, the context of Luke 19 is Zacchaeus. How did Zacchaeus respond to the gospel? Folks, it's beautiful. Take a look. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. You know what I love about this passage? A greedy man becomes a godly man because of the grace of Christ. And what happened in Zacchaeus' life was risky, folks. He was willing to take half of his estate and give it away to poor people. Why? Because he had genuine repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a transformed heart. He was willing to pay back anyone he ripped off four times the amount he ripped off. He went over and above. Again, a greedy man becomes a godly man. Now, what's the contrast in Luke? There's incredible contrast. Last week, we looked at an individual. He's called a rich young ruler. Do you remember his story? His God was wealth. He was greedy. Jesus calls him into a love relationship. Follow me. And how does he respond? He preferred the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. And his head bowed, his countenance broke, and he walked away disheartened. And then another contrast, and it's an enormous contrast, it's a contrast with the religious establishment. Let me show it to you. Verse 14, but his subjects hated him. That's the religious establishment, Luke. And sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. So what did the religious establishment want? We've already seen this. One rules and not relationship. They wanted legalism and not the love of Christ how sad that is. And friends, over the years, I, I've seen this pattern in people's lives. 
The Gospel of Luke has been very clear. Consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Yes, it's risky, as Zacchaeus illustrates. He risked it all, half of his possessions he's ready to give to the poor. Why to go all in? I'll never forget talking to a gentleman, sharing the love of Christ, the gospel, the good news. And he was so open, but he looked at me so soberly. And he said this, he says, Keith, I cannot become a Christian while being in the military. Now, I don't know all the details, but I have a hunch. It was too risky, right? Maybe I'm risking my career. Maybe I'm risking my reputation. Maybe it just wasn't cool to be a Christian in the military. Maybe the party scene was too heavy. For whatever reason, that was his excuse. He wasn't willing to count the cost. You go overseas. You minister in cultures like Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. You know what the number one issue of coming to genuine faith in Christ is? Family ties. You put your faith in Christ, you could lose everything. You could lose your inheritance. You can lose your family status. You could be anathema from the family and the community. That's why Jesus said, consider the cost. Take the risk to follow me because the risk is well worth it, as Zacchaeus illustrates. Think again about the rich young ruler. His head drops. He walks away sad. Why? He preferred the kingdom of this world over the kingdom of God. Friends, the question each and every one of us have to ask this morning is this. Have you considered the cost of what it truly means to follow Jesus, to go all in, to be a disciple, to risk it all? That's a question only you can answer. And yet that is what Luke is pushing us towards for genuine faith in Christ. Risk number two, spiritual risk-taking matures by overcoming our fears. Look at verses 20 and 21, if you would. And another came to him and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you, for you're a tough man. You collect what you did in deposit and reap what you didn't sow. Folks, did you notice the primary reason the third individual gave for not taking a spiritual risk, for not stewarding his life well, for not investing his life for eternity? It ultimately was his view of God. Notice what he says. I was afraid of you. And this isn't a God-honoring fear. This isn't a reverent fear where we're standing in awe of God. Because here's what he says. He says, you're unjust. You're a taskmaster. You're a hard God. Boy, what a sad, sad reality when we have that kind of picture of the Lord. You know, I've come to the conclusion over the years that our view of God really, really matters. That's why in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, the apostle Paul prayed this, that we would be that we would grow in a knowledge of God. Why? Our view of God impacts our stewardship of life dramatically. Let me give you a few for instances. Just imagine you view God as very generous. For God so loved the world, he gave his best, his one and only son. Just imagine you believe, as Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. 
and that you believe God is generous and he'll provide all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we have that view of God, I know in my heart of hearts what's going to happen. We will live more generously because we'll trust him. We'll believe his promises. Think about this. When we have a view of God that he's not harsh, he's not a taskmaster, he's not unjust, but he's compassionate, he's long-suffering, he's merciful, he's forgiving. When we have that kind of view of God, you know what's going to happen? When you and I are hurt in life, when we're blindsided by individuals, when life gets painful and relationships are broken, we'll be more prone to forgive than to become bitter, than to, walk, than to walk towards people, than to walk away. And so our view of God really, really matters. Sadly, this one who lived fearfully had such a warped view of God. Can I encourage you? We've talked about this for a long time, abiding daily. Grow in your knowledge of God. Continue to have a biblical worldview of who he is, and boy, the stewarding of life will flow. Now, I wonder, as you've gone through the Gospel of Luke, have you discovered the fear genre seems to be everywhere? Folks, no less than 12 times in the Gospel of Luke, we see this statement, fear not, do not be afraid. Why? Because fear is real, and fear can overcome our faith. And so let me give you a few examples. Going back all the way to Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel shows up. And he speaks to a young maiden who's probably 13 years old. And here's what he says. It's remarkable. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And he goes on to say, Mary, the spirit of the living God is going to impregnate you. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Mary? Oh, my goodness. The thoughts that flooded her mind. What about my relationship with Joseph? I'm already legally betrothed to him. What is the community going to say? I'm going to be pregnant out of wedlock? What about the shame and guilt and the culture of honor and shame? And the list goes on and on. But how does Mary respond? Faith, not fear. She says this. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful testimony. And so when God calls us to risk, when he calls us to go all in to overcome our fears by faith, man, take your cues from Mary. We are the Lord's servant. Count us in, Lord. One more example. Peter, Luke chapter 5. This is about nine months into Peter's relationship with Jesus. And he's experienced a lot. He's getting to know who Jesus is. And so they're at Galilee, they're fishing, and some really cool things happen. In verse 9 and 10, we read, Don't be afraid, Jesus said, Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Folks, that's a remarkable statement. But again, Jesus confronts the fears, addresses them. Don't be afraid. Be filled with faith. And Peter said, yes, he went all in. And so, again, we have another contrast. And the contrast is between this third servant, instead of living by faith, he lived by fear. Mary and Peter said, yes, 
But this individual took his mind up, hit it. He buried it. Fear paralyzed his faith journey. You know, I've learned over the years that fear really isn't the issue because we're all fearful. That's just part of the sin nature, part of the world in which we live. And so if fear is real as the air we breathe, the real question is how do we deal with our fears? That's what Luke addresses. That's what God addresses. Let me show you a beautiful verse from the book of Psalms. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. I love what the psalmist wrote. Man, beautiful application here. Psalmist says, when I'm afraid, what's he going to do? I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Folks, those are great words. And so when fear, not faith, wears its ugly head, what do we do? Look to the Lord, we trust him. Our view of God really matters. Mary got it. Be it done unto me, Lord, I'm your servant. Peter says, count me in. I'm going to take the risk all in. I'm going to live by faith, not by fear. I'm going to put away these fishing nets. And by the way, just so we know, Peter had boats. He had servants. He was incorporated into the business. He was doing very well as a businessman. And he was willing to risk it all, put that all aside, live by faith, not by fear, to follow Jesus Christ. I hope you would agree with me this morning that the Christian life is not static. It is very dynamic. And who knows today, tonight, this coming week or month, what God's kingdom assignment is going to be for you and me. Peter had no idea when he was following Jesus. Mary just got up and thought it was a normal day. But all of a sudden, God intervened. And they were called to respond, to take a risk, to overcome their fear and live by faith. About a month and a half ago, Ellen and I received an email from a student that goes all the way, all the way back to youth ministry days in Cincinnati. And uh, the gentleman here uh, really served faithfully junior high, senior high, college, all in many mission trips. And the email said that, hey, we feel as a family that we're being called to Northern Africa. Let me show you a picture of this beautiful family. I won't mention their name, but they're in Northern Africa, a dominantly Muslim country. Can you imagine the process of husband and wife and five kids thinking through the implications of leaving North America for Northern Africa, leaving jobs behind, friends and family, church community, all the support, comfort, and care, heading to Northern Africa to learn a new language, to learn a new culture, to find a new school system, to trust God for finances, for health, and for ministry. And yet, because they trust the Lord, they're overcoming their fears by faith. And so it begs a question for all of us this morning, how are we doing in this fear factor of this faith journey? I believe this with all my heart, folks. Again, because our faith journey is dynamic, not static. God gives us kingdom assignments daily, weekly. Do we lean in and take the risk? Do we walk by faith, not by sight? Do we trust the Lord when fear rears its ugly head? And so sometimes it's as simple as just sharing the, the good news with a 
neighbor, a coworker, a friend. Sometimes it's relinquishing our time, treasure, talent, and touch a little bit more than we anticipated. God calls us to take risks, to go all in, to overcome fear of this life and live by faith. Now finally, risk number three, spiritual risk-taking is a two-way street, and please don't miss this, folks. I tried to sum up a lot of passage here of reward and loss. This parable highlights the great loss and great reward. And again, can I suggest to you, according to Jesus, the stakes are high as to how you and I respond to Christ. And so three things regarding great loss, great reward. So let's start out with great loss. Number one, absolute rejection and judgment. And so in this parable, there is a group who totally rejected Jesus. And folks, for the past 2,000 years, that pattern has uh, propagated itself. Let's take a look. Look at verse 14. But his subjects hated him, sent a delegation after him, saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. How sad. God the Father gives Jesus Christ, his son, the authority to become king. And here's the religious establishment saying, no, we got our own religion. We got our rules. We got our code of ethics. We have figured out how to please God. It's all about performance. And so they rejected him. But notice, folks, the consequences of rejecting Jesus. Verse 27. And again, this might sound harsh, but it's biblical. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Now, folks, I don't uh, get a lot of joy in reading passages like that. Those are difficult passages, but they are passages that are real, not only in Luke, but throughout all of Scripture. Why? The Bible says sin brings death. Sin separates us from God. God solved the sin problem by sending his son, Jesus, Messiah, Savior, King. And we have a choice like the religious establishment did back then to say yes to Jesus as King or not. And when we say no, when we reject him, there are consequences. We're going to see this next week. Why? He's the righteous judge. But I want to give you one passage of scripture to hang your hat on this morning. We won't turn there, but I'm going to paraphrase it. It's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And the Bible says there is a day coming where God will be seated on his great white throne. And there is a book, it's called the Book of Life, and it's going to be open. And if your name is written in that book, if my name is written in that book, guess what? We're going to be with the Lord for eternity in heaven. We get to celebrate his presence. However... If our name isn't written in the book of life, there will be judgment. How will we be judged? According to Revelation 20, we'll be judged by our works. And of course, the Bible makes it very clear. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. And so the question it begs this morning, is your name written in the book of life? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ, in Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and King? You know for certain when that book is open, the book of life, your name will be there. You can know for certain today. 
Secondly, there's the unfaithful and the no reward. Look at verses 20 through 21. And another came and said, Master, here's your mina. I've kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you. For you're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit. You reap what you didn't sow. Take the mina away from him. Give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said, well, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Parallel passage in the Pauline letters comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I've already alluded to this earlier in the message. The Bible says there's a day coming when God's servants will stand before Christ. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. It's called the uh, place where Christ will say, well done, good and faithful servant, or just the opposite. And 1 Corinthians 3 paints a picture that our life is going to go through a fire. It's a divine fire. And if our works are like wood, hay, and stubble, they're just going to get burned up. They're going to dissipate. Yeah, we'll enter heaven. But there's no reward, as is illustrated here. However, if our life, our works in Christ, our good deeds, Ephesians 2.10, is gold, silver, and precious stone, they go through the fire, they prove the test, and boy, there's great reward. So friends, again, it's all about stewardship. When the cat's away, how will the mice play? How do we steward our life when Jesus is seated now at the right hand of the Father, preparing to return, and will give up an account? One of the three, literally his life burned up, wood, hay, and stubble. May that not be true of us. Now, finally, we close with a very positive thing. Great reward. Faithful and uniquely rewarded. And so, the first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good slave. He told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns and cities. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns or cities. What's beautiful here is, again, it's somewhat reflective that some steward their time, treasure, talent, and touch better than others. One took the same amount of resource, four months' wages, and multiplied it tenfold. That's 40 months of wages. Way to go, my kind of investment. The other uh, took four months of wages, multiplied it five times, half as much, but still rewarded, not rewarded as much, and there will be levels of reward for all eternity. Scripture is very clear on that. And so this morning we close on a very positive note. And on behalf of the elders of Westwood Church, as we enter 2021, we look back on 2020, Westwood, I want to say thank you for stewarding your time, treasure, talent, and touch so generously. You know, we had a, an enormous opportunity, the property on Westbrook, last fall. And we prayed, we fasted, we wondered what God would do. And boy, today we stand in awe of the Lord because he worked in and through you to steward your resources. 
to be generous. You know, mid-December, as we met with the bank and we made the first payment of $400,000, you know what was so beautiful about that? 100% of our upfront pledges came in to ensure that payment would take place. Bless when to God be the glory. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is teaching here. And so, can I give one final application? A few thoughts about eternity. One, is your name written in the book of life? Kids, if you're watching here, teens, if you're watching here and you're not sure, have a conversation with mom and dad. Adults, if you're not sure, grab a friend, talk through the implications of what it looks like to have your name written in the book of life. And then all of us have the privilege to take an assessment of our time, our treasure, our talent and touch. Are we stewarding well for the kingdom and glory of God? Yes, Jesus Christ is away. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our mediator right now, but the Bible makes it very clear. He's coming back and he'll reward those who diligently seek him. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for such a beautiful, beautiful parable by our Savior. Thank you for the clarity. And God, we realize no risk, no reward. We gotta walk by faith, not by sight. Father, thank you for the privilege to consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus and to have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to have a, a biblical worldview of you Fill us, Lord, we pray, with the knowledge of the Holy One. And Father, I pray today we would all be honest and take an assessment. Are we stewarding our life, even today, for your kingdom and glory? Help us, Lord, by your spirit, by your word, to evaluate well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.